1: Good morning. Good morning. I want to welcome you all to Sacred Sunday. This is Shaw McCain. I'm reading from the Bible every Sunday morning. Ho- hopefully, every Sunday morning. And what's uh, going on this morning is that we're uh, on Second Peter, chapter three, and we're going to uh, be reading and studying the Bible along with uh, commentary on uh, this uh, this chapter. Excuse me, I'm a little distracted because I kind of uh, messed up my paperwork a little bit. So anyway, let's um, open with the prayer. All Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And our prayers go out to everybody all over the world today for your continued health. And if you're sick, we pray for you to be well. And God bless you in every way. Uh, we, we are aware of, you know, our circumstances worldwide, and um, just let me, let you know that I love you and you're all in my prayers. And now let's let's read about Second Peter chapter 3. It's the end is extremely nigh, and that means the end is close. Even though back then, they said that it was, um, excuse me, I'm sorry, all my stuff is jumping all over the place. Um, anyway, let's go straight to the Bible, that's the source, and that's what we can uh, count on. And we're, let's go to Second to Peter chapter 3, and here we begin the design of the future. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I am stirring up your secure mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this first of all, that in the last days, mocker will come with their mocking and following after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continued, just as it was from the beginning of creation. But when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Through which the world at that time was destroyed, and being flooded with water. But by His word, the present heavens and earth are beginning are are being reserved for fire kept for the day of judgment, and destruction of the ungodly men. Now we're on verse 8, the delay. But do not let the one fact escape your notice, beloved, that the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promises, some count slowness, but his patience towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a feast, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? And he says, Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his prophecy, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless, and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you. And also in all his letters, speaking in them, of these things, and which are some things hard to understand, which is untaught and unstable, distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures for their own destruction. For you, the, therefore, so beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory. So now and for the day of eternity, amen. So, as short as this was, it was also extremely intense. And if I read these notes, so, third Peter, Peter gives the Old Testament prophets and New Testament apostles equal authority. And 3 3 says, first and importance, the mockers. But evidently, some false teachers were described as in chapter 2. And we still have mockers today, people that mock the holy word of God. And then uh, 3 5, it escapes their notice or they willfully ignore. Peter begins his attack on those who doubt the truth of Christ's return by referring to the dependability of God's word as demonstrated in creation. So if we watch creation, what he said came forth, and he is the creator. Now it talks about, uh, we Two at Flooded with water, the judgment of the flood of the days of Noah also demonstrates the truthfulness of God's word and the fact that he has dramatically intervened in the past. And that's true. Like Noah's flood and sending Noah out. Okay, two believers. Peter now says that the assuming the delay of Christ's return is because God does not view do time as we do. And two... Because he wants more people to repent. So, this is for our sake. It's a kindness that he's waiting. But people don't want to rush it and go, well, everybody to be saved. The day of the Lord, it will begin unexpectedly at the beginning of the tribulation and at the end of the cl- conclusion of the millennium with the destruction of the heavens and the earth. And then, on one account, in which uh, after the dissolution of the present heavens and the day of God, which is et- of eternity, will come. And the certainty of this disillusion makes doubly urgent the life of godliness now. So, like Christ, be spotless and blameless. And in regard to salvation, understand the delay of the eternal Lord is intended as an opportunity for men to be saved. And then Paul's epistles are right here put in the in Paul with the rest of the scriptures. So, be continually, increasingly in grace and knowledge, and then to counteract false teachings. So the whole point is, there's going to be naysayers, there's going to be people that are not going to believe you, there's going to be people that are say that uh, you're foolish to have faith, and there's going to be people that twist up the word of God to their own devices, but I believe that he promises certain things, and then these things that I can believe and I can depend on. And that's what I believe. Whew. So... Let's go on to a story of the day, because I can't seem to pull up what I wanted to pull up. I'm going to try it one more time, so please be patient for a minute. I'm going to try it again. Okay, so hopefully this won't pop up. It says, Peter reminds his readers that the second letter he has sent to him, he's, he's writing again to let them know that Jesus is going to come back for real. You no, know, it just keeps uh, popping around. I don't understand what's going on here. It suggests people are saying that he's a little bit behind. Yes, the disciples thought he would have been at bed here already. But what can he say? He just likes to be fashionably late. This is all part of the end of the world, anyhow. Naysayers will pop up and start trash talking the Second Coming. We thought he'd be here already and keep and keep telling us that he's on the way. But everything's the same as it always was. Looks, officer," said Peter. God destroyed the world once with water. Remember that flood? And Noah's ark? So, why wouldn't he take the whole place out again? This time he's going to do it with fire, though. So, get ready for that. Also, you're forgetting that God doesn't keep time like humans do. He'll get there, but it won't be by our clock, says Peter. Besides, God might be waiting for more people to come around on this whole Jesus thing. And after all, if he gives us some more time, more folks will be saved from the fires of destruction. See, that's just sensible. Trust me, he says, the end of the world be, will be when we least expect it. Everything's going to crumble and die and only the faith will be left standing. That keeps. That means keep the safe guys. Stay strong. Be good. Fight the good fight. And you totally won't be scorched alive if God burns the earth through rubble. Okay? Anyway, Paul also mentions this stuff in his letters. Of course, some folks don't know how to properly interpret a letter, so they're claiming that Paul's writing supports them. Nope. Paul's On Peter's side all the way, says Peter. Right, so stay on the good path. Don't stumble and fall as you're walking along. Love Jesus, and everything is going to come up roses. As far as Peter is concerned, peace. So this this is what we've been encouraged to do. It's a a short letter. It's quite a shocking letter because it's coming, but it's coming right to the point. Don't fall, false leaders. Read the Bible, and what God has promised, He will continue to do. He's done. He created this whole thing, so why would he lie? Especially uh, from his children, as we look up to our Heavenly Father. So anyway, I have a little story to read you, and um, that's going to be next. And let me see. Here we are. We're still going. That's good. Okay, I'm sorry for a little bit of confusion because uh, my screen keeps sacking up. Okay, so this is a little story that I'm looking forward to reading to you. It's about Will You Forgive Me? by Victoria Baker and she's from Huntington, West Virginia. I was nervous the day we drove from my home to the Work Relief Center in Charleston, Charleston, West Virginia. It's not too late to change your mind, my husband, Don said. He hadn't wanted us to come. He didn't believe I would meet the man whose image haunted me for a dozen years. He had tried to dissuade me from the moment I mentioned the visit, but I was resolute. If I was going to live, truly live, I had to see James Winsett again face to face. Twelve years earlier, on a wintry evening in 1982, I was parking my car near Don's apartment on Huntington Side. Back then, Don was my fiancée, and he had invited me over for dinner. I closed the car door and took a few steps. Abruptly, somebody grabbed me and pinned my hands behind my back and threw me into the icy pavement. I looked up and saw a pair of wild, red-crazed eyes. The man yanked my hair and punched me in the face. I tried to scream, but he clamped his hands on my bloody mouth silencing me. Angry and frightening, frightened, I bit his hand and he howled in pain. Give me your purse, he snarled. I flung it at him, scared for my life. He stuffed it inside his jacket and ran, leaving me bruised and bleeding on a deserted street. I dragged myself to Don's apartment, finding some solace in knowledge that I could identify the man who assaulted me. By the time I married six months later, the bruises and wounds had healed, and James Winslet, my attacker, had been given a life sentence. But even with him behind bars I was haunted by fears. I still trembled at the mention of his name. Once at the supermarket I thought I saw him and abandoned my half filled cart in the middle of the aisle, hurrying out of the store in a panic. Another time I had stopped my car at a crosswalk when a man had looked like him and walked by. I felt a surge of anger in split seconds considered gunning the engine and hitting the innocent stranger. I lived in terror for myself and after Don and I had children for our family. I locked all the car doors, even double-locked the front door of our safe neighborhood. Four years after the attack, I was still having, I was still having and fighting visions of Jane Winsett. Other graver fears intruded in my life, but they will not erase that one primal fear or relieve me of the image of those drug-crazed eyes. Nothing terrified me more, not even learning that in 1986 I had cancer. The tumor was successfully removed, but the cancer came back. I had more operations and radiation therapy, but the malignancy returned and ever-threatening. By 1993, it had spread to my lungs, and I was told I had less than 50% chance of living more than five years. Around the same time, I received word that James Winsett was up for parole. I told Don, do everything you can to make sure he stays in prison. In April, I went to Ohio State University Medical Center in Columbus for intensive radiation therapy requiring a three-day stay in an isolated cell-like room. While there, I lay on my bed saying prayers for my health. I saw the radiation as a light spreading through my body. By his stripes, we are healed, I repeated. I imagine every part of my body touched by the healing blood of Jesus but I never offered any prayers for the anger and fear that were riddling my body. I held on to my hatred for the man in another cell. That summer, I was well enough to go to my two eldest sons to camp church. I wanted to savor the time I had left with them. One evening at the campfire, I closed my eyes and listened to the songs that took me back to my girlhood when I was trusting and carefree. Oh, how I love Jesus, he sang, and the words became my prayer, and that's the last thing I remembered before I collapsed. I saw the sky beyond the blue, out of the reach of stars. I see my younger brother, Renee, who died at 12, but here he's grown up. He smiles at me and sings. My mother is here too. The last time I saw her, her face and body showed the ravages of cancer, but now she is healthy and happy again. This is heaven. I hear the angels sing, a music more glorious than any I have ever heard before. And I am so close to the angels, I sing with them. Oh, how I love Jesus. Lying on the ground, I feel the hand of God touch the pit of my stomach and move up through my chest and neck with an intense heat. I hear God speak. Be still, he says. Now say, I am healed. I I repeat these words. I am healed. I am healed. I am healed. Then I get up and join the dance. When I opened my eyes, I was still on the ground. A friend was standing over me, and I told her the good news. I had seen heaven. I hadn't been praying for healing. I had just been concentrating on God, and suddenly I had seen his, his realm. The door was open to me, and I had seen the beyond. The first concrete evidence of my physical healing came in the fall when I went back to the OSU Medical Center to have my blood tested. My physician, Dr. Ernest Nazafari, was looking for a marker to see if cancer was present. That last time he had run the test, I had had a marker count of around 100. This time it was close to five, perfectly normal. I couldn't believe it, Dr. Nazafari said. I made the lab run the test twice just so to be sure I hadn't made any mistake." For me, the new year of 1994 felt like the beginning of a new life. I could look ahead to the future with better expectations. But in February, when Jane Woodson came for Pearl again, I started to revert to that old familiar feeling fear. I had been so grateful for my healing and had felt so happy, had trusted God so completely, mm-hmm. that I had almost forgotten my attacker. But now that man was back in my thoughts, forming my life. One night at dinner, I announced, I want to see James Winsett." Don dropped his fork. You can't, he said. I won't let that man near you again. For as long as I harbor anger against him, I'm hurting myself, I explained. If I can trust God with my health, I can trust God with this. I don't think I'll completely be completely well until I see James in person. Don looked down at his plate, thinking, and I'm coming with you, he said. After calls to the co-officer of the work release program in Charleston, James agreed to see me, but the woman in charge was deeply suspicious of my motives. If you attempt to intimidate him or retry him, she said, the visit will be terminated. We went into the office and waited. The door opened and walked a thin man wearing a keel sports coat, black trousers, and shine shoes. How different he was from the man I saw in my nightmare. He looked smaller, older, and a little frightened. James, I said, you look nice. Self-conscious, he straightened his shirt collar and sat down from us. Thank you, he said softly. Don squeezed my hand, not sure of more, I could, was what, what more I was going to say. I leaned forward and looked James in the eye and asked, will you forgive me? James looked at Don then back at me. I tried to convince myself that I was justified in my anger at you, I said. But I probably made me sick inside. James listened while I told her about my cancer and the miracle of my cure. I could already see that the other, another miracle was taking place in that room. It was as though the angels were back with me and showing me how to make my heaven here on earth. James wanted to tell me more about himself, who he was before drugs and alcohol took hold in his life. He pulled two crumpled newspaper clippings from his pocket and handed them to me. I read about a star high school athlete destined for a great future, an all-American basketball player with college scholarship offers. Kids used to ask me for my autograph, James said, and then he fumbled for words, I am sorry I hurt you and your family. They're both silent for a while, then James said, may I ask you something? Will God hear my prayers? Absolutely, I believe that God can change you too, and he has changed you. He sure changed me. My anger and fear were gone. I was free. The next day I went to a bookstore and bought a Bible. I had James Woods inscribed in gold in the corner and nailed it to him with some highlighters and a note uh, for readings. Mark, whatever speaks to you. Make it personal. That was two years ago. Today, James is out of prison. He is dating a religious woman and has a good job at a Charleston restaurant. Most important, James has become a friend. We talk on the phone every a few weeks, and we exchange cards and letters. He's even had dinner at my home and traded sports stories with my friends. That's how deep my healing has been. Nothing less than the power of God and his angels could have accomplished this. Nothing this side of heaven could have made me whole. Amen. What a wonderful story. We are healed by his stripes. Forgiving them helps us to forgive ourselves. And for those things that are unforgivable, the things you cannot forgive, ask God to help you with them and help you deal with them. You can't face every every hurt Every pain and every person that has hurt you, but you can pray for them. I hesitate because somebody hurt somebody very dear to me and I'm having a struggle. There's, I have nowhere near forgiveness. As a matter of fact, I put something on Facebook one time. I said, How do you forgive the unforgivable? A lot of people answered the questions exactly what we're saying in the Bible to forgive. We have to forgive, it's freeing ourselves. And they said a lot of things. There's a lot of love. There was a hundred answers. The one answer that helped me, how do you forgive the unforgivable? The person said, Sometimes you can't and let God He can and He can help you and that was my answer. So I haven't gone to the point because the people that murdered and tortured my niece are on death row at San Quentin and Chowchilla. And they have had almost 30 appeals, and they're running out of the last appeals. And they were given a death sentence for murdering my niece and other girls. And what they did to my niece, they chopped her up after raping and torturing her, and they dumped her body pieces in, a, in the ocean over at Dana Point. So can I forgive that? No. But God's going to help me reconcile this someday. It hasn't happened yet, but I'm looking forward to the day that this is reconciled with me, and I'll understand. My niece, Jessie, is already in heaven. She told me two years before this happened that someday she said I'm going to be with Jesus. She told me this. Two years later, she was. So I know, and that's assured, I know that she was with our Heavenly Father. So forgiveness, for God so loved the world, he gave his only forgotten son. So let's close out today with a serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. So I'll see you next time, next week, and you can be to this again in archives and all, all of the Bible studies in archives, because next week, we have moved right along. I can't believe how far we've gotten, but we've gotten very far with our Bible studies. So next week, it's going to be First John, the introduction. So that's going to be another Bible study, and we will keep carrying on. We ask in Jesus' name that we all be healed and that we learn to forgive. God bless you. Amen. With the Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.